Welcome to Unlocking the Truth, a podcast where we discover God's truth for ourselves by studying His Word. David and Kay Arthur are coming to Brantford, Ontario this September. We want to invite you to join us at Central Baptist Church on September 6th and 7th for a two-day conference that you won't want to miss. David and Kay will be bringing a timely message on holding fast through suffering and trials using the book of 1 Peter. Registration is open and tickets are going fast. The cost for this conference is only $79, and with a limited number of seats available, you will want to register soon. Register online on our website or by calling our office at 877-234-2030. Has your life been changed by inductive Bible study? Why not invite someone to learn the inductive method by taking part in one of our many workshops happening across Canada? Interested in hosting a workshop in your church? Contact our events team today by emailing training at preceptministries.ca and bring the transforming power of God's Word to your community. In February, we launched our Thrive Building campaign to help meet the financial needs of this new building that God has blessed us with. Would you prayerfully consider partnering with us? You can find out more information about the Thrive Building campaign, as well as watch a video tour of our new facility by visiting us online at www.preceptministries.ca slash thrive. Coming up on July 15th to 20th, we will be having our summer study week here in Brantford, Ontario. Whether you're interested in learning the essentials of inductive Bible study or learning how to lead a Bible study class, there's a workshop for everyone. Check out all the different workshops happening that week on our website, www.preceptministries.ca, and sign up today. To stay up to date with everything happening at the ministry, visit us online on our website or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Hello, everyone. It's Mark Sheldrake here, and this is Unlocking the Truth podcast. It's great to have you with us. Uh, Derek K. Mink is with me, and we are back into our Covenant series after taking a break through the Easter season. We hope that you had a wonderful Easter with your families, as uh, we both did. But uh, we're excited to get back into Covenant. We've got five weeks left in Covenant before we wrap up. And um, we can't wait to dig into this week's topic. But before we do, I'll have Derek open in prayer. Almighty God, we come before you and we thank you for the truth that we find in your word, uh, for the absolute blessing it is to be able to to study a topic like covenant, where we can uh, continue to see how uh, you work through your son um, to bring us into a covenant relationship with you, where you've done all the work. And, uh, and we reap the benefits of it. I pray that as we look at our um, look today at this subject of, of oneness and of unity, um, that we will see ways in which we can uh, continue to foster the unity of the Spirit with one another, uh, with our brothers and sisters in Christ, and, and how we are um, made one with you through your Son. We pray this all in your Son's name. Amen. Amen. So when I was a young lad growing up in Cambridge, Ontario, we used to have a a group of buddies and there was a couple of television shows that were really, really popular at that time. Uh, And Derek, I don't know if you'll even know these because of your age, but one was called Chips. Uh, 
and Chips was a motorcycle right, police, police officer, right? officer yeah, yeah. Poncherello and John Baker. And uh, if you ever want to borrow them, I've got them on my iPad. <laughs> anyway, so uh, these two guys, you know, they made riding motorcycles and, you know, being cool and stuff. And so yeah. kids my age, what we did was we used to park our bikes like they did, right. the Chips guys. The other popular show was the Dukes of Hazard. That mm -hmm. was a, I mean, I used to make my parents go home early, from make sure we were home before eight o'clock on Friday night so right. we could watch the Duke, the good old, the good old boys, the good old boys. And then there was this movie that uh, came out, and uh, very interesting concept of a movie. And I haven't seen it in a number of years, but uh, the movie was called Stand by Me. You know, and uh, all about these group of friends who went out searching and they were looking for a guy who had passed away along the train tracks in the woods and and uh, went on this whole journey through uh, this kind of the whole movie. Mm -hmm. But there was this scene in the movie where they were committing each other to be sort of the blood brothers, you You're know, right. where they both would cut a little slash in their finger and then they would rub their fingers together and then they'd be like blood brothers for life right and i remember watching that movie at my friend's house and thinking to myself yeah man we should be blood brothers shouldn't we we should be together forever and so we did we cut our i mean this kind of stuff would never <laughs> happen today not gonna fly no you know in in north america anyway with so many so much information that we now know um, uh, with, uh, you know, getting blood, other people's blood on mm -hmm. you, et cetera. But there we were, you know, in the basement and just a group of us. And we were all like pressing our fingers together. And we're like, oh, yeah, we're all blood brothers now. We'll be together for life. And the funny part, I was just telling you this before we came on. You're like, you ever talk to him anymore? And I'm like, nope, nope, don't talk to him anymore <laughs> at all. But uh, what we've got here is we've got these um, this oneness that we want to look at. Mm-hmm. And that was the whole symbolism behind the Blood Brothers was that when once you united together and you you kind of shared each other's blood that you were you were together you were brothers for life mm -hmm. and uh, I think that um, we can look at some principles coming from the scriptures in our study of covenant which we know um, is a binding agreement we've talked about how serious covenant is but I wanted to start off in John chapter 17 because Jesus as he was praying, he prayed about oneness and he prayed about unity for his, uh, for believers and what that would represent in the world and so how important unity is. And so uh, let's look at that for a minute. And uh, John chapter 17, verse 20, and uh, going down to verse 24, it says, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but those also who believe in me through their words. So you've got the disciples he's praying for, but he's also praying for the fruit that will come from their ministry after Jesus departs and ascends into heaven. Uh, and he says, uh, but I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may be one even as you, Father, are in me, that, I, uh, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they may all may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. And so 
what he's talking about here is he's talking about this unity between father, son, and believer that comes together. And what we want to look at is we want to look at <clears throat> how that comes together, that oneness uh, comes together in three uh, symbolic ways that uh, we're going to see that come together. And the first is that it comes through the blood. <clears throat> so why don't you uh, shed some light on that as well, Derek. Yeah, we, we see that, that there, is, there is no covenant without, without blood. We see that in, in the Old Testament. Um, in Hebrews, it says that, uh, that the covenant, the, even the new covenant is not, um, not inaugurated without blood. Uh, and so uh, when we look at this concept, this idea of um, not just shedding of blood, but this um, this commingling, this this mixing of uh, a blood, which which makes the two um, become one, which which unify unifies those um, those people forever. Um, and so, what we see in in our understanding of covenant is uh, that we see that Jesus gave His blood um, as a way to bring us into uh, covenant with, uh, with God, his Father. So we want to look at John chapter 20, and this is a great uh, verse coming out of Easter and Jesus after the resurrection. It's this whole idea of the shed blood bringing together the, <clears throat> the oneness that comes together with that in, in God the Father, Jesus the Son, and us as believers, that Jesus bore the marks of that shed blood on his body even after the resurrection. Just like that symbolic movement of, you know, my friend and I putting our hands together and, and having the uh, blood come together. We, the cuts that we showed on our fingers showed that we were doing that. And sometimes contracts are signed in this day and age by a handshake too. You know, you go and you say, hey, Hey, uh, we we agree. We're shaking on this, and thank you very much. And and it's all good. And that actually handshake is is bound by the courts. If mm -hmm. you say you have a handshake agreement, you uh, you know it doesn't necessarily have to be in writing. You can w win cases based on that binding agreement of the handshake. But here, Jesus uh, shed blood on the cross, which we know shed blood for sins, and then. He bears the marks of that covenant that mm -hmm. he made with us uh, on the cross. In verse 24 of chapter 20 in John, But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, uh, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were saying to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to him, Unless I see his hands and the imprints of the nails and put my finger into the place of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. After eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas was with them. Jesus came to the doors, having been shut, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach here with your finger and see my hands, and reach here with your hand and put it into my side, and do not be unbelieving, but believing. And so the whole idea there is that this is the imprint of the covenant that was made between Jesus and believers when he was sacrificed on the cross through the shed blood, that oneness that comes together. Isaiah chapter 49 is uh, another verse, that uh, section of verses that we want to look at that are prophecy to the very fact that Jesus would bear the symbol of this covenant on his body. And so why don't you read Isaiah 49 verses 
14 to 16. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. Can a woman forget her nursing child and have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, but I will not forget you. Behold, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. And so that's what we're seeing is, is this idea of being inscribed on the palms of the hands of, of, God, of, of Jesus is, uh, is the marks of crucifixion, the marks of that, that covenant that, um, that do last forever. Even in his resurrected body, uh, Jesus still displayed the, the scars of, of the covenant um, because they are to act as um, those reminders of, um, of what was done, uh, the, the pain that he went through, um, the sacrifice that was made in order to bring us into covenant. In, in Zechariah, there's another verse that does point to that uh, prophecy of Jesus again. It says, I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication, so they will look on me whom they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one who mourns for an only son, and they will weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping over a firstborn. And what we've got here is we've got God who was pierced through the person and in the person of Jesus Christ. And that's a picture of that mingling of the blood or the, say, the clapping of the hands together in that handshake, which mm -hmm. uh, shows that covenant relationship of, of coming together right. through the blood of Christ. It's quite a fantastic picture to see that that oneness comes through the blood and bearing the mark. Uh, Paul, in the book of Galatians, he also talked about you know, on the other end, not Jesus bearing the marks of the covenant, but mm -hmm. that he bore the marks of the covenant. So why don't you read Galatians chapter uh, 6, verse 17. Yeah, so uh, Paul says, From now on, let no one cause trouble for me, for I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus. If you go through Paul's journeys, if you if you follow through the book of Acts and through the epistles, um, you'll see there are there are times when um, Paul is not uh, not greeted in the best way possible. Uh, that that wherever he goes, um, he upsets some people. And there are times when it gets out of hand. There are times when he is when he's beaten, when he is stoned, and uh, when he's left for dead. Uh, and he's saying that that he can show the marks on his own body. Um, that no one should cause him trouble because the proof of, of his dedication to the work of spreading the gospel is, is visible, is evident uh, physically on his body. The thing is that even if we brought this to today, there are people in the world who are carrying the marks of the covenant on their body. There are individuals in this world who are paying the price through suffering, through persecution. They've probably been beaten or even killed for their relationship with Jesus Christ, for the covenant that they're in. It doesn't mean that every single person in the world is going to receive or take on the marks like Paul did. Right. You know, that we won't all have the scars that show the relationship of Jesus Christ. And it doesn't mean that we're not in it. 
doesn't mean that we've put ourselves in such a difficult circumstance. It's just mm -hmm. that we all will face difficulties, but we may not all bear the marks like Right. We might not Paul necessarily did. have to, to go through what, what Paul went through. Right. And those scars, what scars do for us is, is they do act as a reminder for us, um, even what what has happened to us in our own life. Um, if you remember the movie Jaws, there was a, a scene where they're on the boat and that's what they do. In order to get to know one another, they, they show their scars and this is what happened here and this is what happened there. And I've even done that with my kids. They'll look at my hands and go, what's that mark, Dad? And I'll tell them, well, that's when you know, I was acting foolish and did something and hurt <laughs> myself or wiped out on my bike and my mom didn't take me to the hospital when I needed stitches. Um, but those are memories that, that are made um, and, and we can look back at those and we can remember um, what happened and, and why that mark has been made on us. And, and that's what we have in Jesus. We can look at the scars and we can be reminded of, of what was done for us. Right. So we want to kind of, as we move through, we want to look at how we become one in Christ Jesus. And, th and that takes us back to John chapter 17, verses 21 to 23. And he says that they may be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and have loved me, them even as you have loved me. The, the key here in the unity is that we already know that Jesus is in the Father. We know from Hebrews and we know from John that Jesus was the exact representation of God on earth. Yeah. That he was with God, was God, and came to earth. Mm -hmm. We know Hebrews again tells us that he humbled himself and made lower for a little while. Yeah. But we also know that he's now back with the Father. We know that they're one within the Trinity. Mm -hmm. But there's this outside force, which is us who are sinful people destined for wrath, mm -hmm. that the only way we can be unified, according to John chapter 17, is in verse 23. And it says, I in them. Mm -hmm. And so we have to have Jesus in us for us to be able to be in that unity or oneness. Yeah. Now, how do we get in that? We get into that through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Let's look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. So Colossians 1, uh, chapter 7. And what we've got here in verse 27, it says, To whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so now again, Christ in us. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 to 32. And what does Ephesians 5, 25 to 32 say? Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water and the word, 
that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands also ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, but no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ also does the church. For we are members of his body. And so we have this, again, this idea of being brought into, um, into unity with Jesus Christ that, that Paul says here that, um, that we're to treat each other um, in this fashion, to show love uh, to one another because we are members of one body, because we are unified uh, as, um, as children of God and as those who are uh, partakers of Jesus Christ. So we've got this very fact that he gave himself up for the church. He sanctified himself for her. Um, he also refer represents two becoming one mm -hmm. with the example of the husband and wife. And then he compares it to the spiritual relationship of the church, which is fantastic. And then we have in John chapter 6, 47 to 58, it says, Truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Then the Jews began to argue with one another saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink the blood, you have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As for the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father, so he who eats me will also live because of me. This is the bread which came down out of the heavens, not as the fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. This is an amazing passage, and I've taught on this passage before, and the very fact that at the end of this, it says that there are a lot of people that found this very difficult to understand, and they walked away. Yeah. But this is what he's saying, is that you have to partake of me. Mm -hmm. You can only have eternal life through me. Yeah. No one comes to the Father except through me and through that process and that sanctification and his sacrifice that was done on the cross, we have the fact that we become one mm -hmm. when we partake of Jesus. So there's another part of this. So the oneness is only through Jesus. Mm -hmm. That's the first part. The second part is, which even comes right directly from you can see in this John chapter 6 part is that we receive something through this oneness. Mm -hmm. And in my Bible, in I've marked it out in John chapter 6, I've got it uh, over six or seven times here, is the words uh, life, eternal, or live forever. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that we receive as a part of that covenant promise, is we receive uh, or we share in the possession of eternal life. Mm -hmm. So let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. What does it say there? 
So 2 Corinthians uh, 8 verse 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. It's interesting to, to think about what this actually means. And if you uh, think about what Jesus actually did for us, um, if you, you take a look at his status, uh, that at one point he was, uh, he was God, he was a, a prince of heaven. Uh, and when it talks about him becoming poor, uh, Paul's referring to him coming down to earth to become like man, that he gave up his position in heaven in order to become human like us so that he then could die and give us the riches of grace, and that is eternal life. And that's what we have received because of his giving up, his, uh, his poverty, becoming poor, becoming like us then gives us the riches of grace and everlasting life. Yeah, so when we receive that eternal life, that's something that's shared with us in possession. Then we have in the very fact that we also receive a name in Romans chapter 8, verses 15 to 17. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you've received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. If children, heirs also, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. We, we become heirs mm -hmm. to the throne. We, we receive eternal life, but we become heirs, and that is which we will receive, you know, the blessings that come, whether they are. You think about, you know, will, mm -hmm. if you are in an heir to receive uh, money coming through a will, you're, say your father was a, a king, yeah. you know, you're going to receive a ton. You're going to receive mm -hmm. a kingdom. You're going to receive all the financial bounty that comes with being an heir. Yeah. And then you're going to receive position. And it, that, those are all the things that we receive with Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. We receive position, we receive a kingdom, and we receive abundance uh won't be in dollars but yeah. we receive you know we can't even describe heaven paul mm -hmm. paul calls uh heaven eternal weight of glory how do you even really picture something that nobody's truly ever ever seen yeah. we just know that it's going to be a whole lot of good stuff for a really long time yeah and so we've got that that air there we also have a, a great example and I think it's important that not only as what Jesus shares with us, I think that believers are called to share in their possessions mm -hmm. with others. And we want to look at Acts chapter 2, uh, which I still believe is one of the most phenomenal examples of as the Holy Spirit has come down on the people, you know, Jesus promised the Holy Spirit. But then this church, this first church that's been planted they, they commit themselves to preaching and teaching. And so listen to what the text says here. And he says, um, let's look at verse 41. It says, after the gospel was preached, then those who had received his word were baptized that day and were added about 3,000 souls. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles'. 
And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. What does that mean when they have all things in common? That everything was shared. Unity. Yeah. They're all unified on one front. They began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Could you imagine that Mm. for a moment? That church is so well aware of the rest of their congregation that then when they see a need, they meet the need. And the way they meet the need is by selling their possessions and then sharing the return on that, that sale with those who need it most. That is a phenomenal example of people who share possessions. Do you think that's even possible in in the world that we live in today? I think it. I think it's possible, <clears throat> but uh, I know I've been a part of a number of churches, and and as as much as we try to to help one another, um, there's always this sense of well, okay, but that. That's mine, or or I earn that, and that belongs to me. And so, even when we do give, uh, there are times when we got to make sure that everyone understands and knows where that where that gift came from. Um, and so, when we give to the needs of of the people in our church, um, a, a lot of times we'll give some, but we won't completely fulfill the need. We'll say, well, we'll help them, but at some point. They, they got to figure it out and, and help themselves. And, and maybe that, that might be true, but there's none of that going on here. There isn't, there isn't a caveat to helping. It was simply, you're in need, I'll, f- I'll fill that need for you as, as long as I can. And that's, and that's how the church was characterized, that no one was in need. There wasn't, these are the rich people who help the poor people either. There wasn't that divide in the church. It was simply, everyone has everything that they need. It's amazing that I think as we grow, as we, you know, into the world that we're in today and the culture that we're in, we're very skeptical mm-hmm. of when a need arises and we, we want to run it through a filter. Yeah. And then we, we, the filter is our filter. Right. And then we look and we say, well, that's not, that's not know, really that doesn't need. tug at my, you know, my heart or whatever. Yeah. And, and, uh, I'll never forget, um, my daughter who's a, was a phenomenal example, her teacher, uh, in her grade seven teachers, uh, mother died suddenly. Mm. And, uh, you know, we kind of laid out, hey, it would be great if we could gather some meals and take care of this family. And this family wasn't within the church. They, mm-hmm. um, I think they were, have a Catholic background. And, but, you know, the, the unity that Jesus isn't talking, is talking about here is not a unity amongst uh, First Baptist Church. Right. You know, it, yeah. it's, it's the body of Christ that mm-hmm. when they come together the world will know that he that God sent his son, which he tells us in John is that the world will know that he is the provider of eternal life. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, my daughter said, we got to get something together. We got to get some meals together. And we ended up getting a few meals together. And then my wife and daughter took, uh, went over and took the meals over and the meals had scriptures on them. Mm. And, and that was an impactful moment for that family just to look at the unity of the body yeah. uh, reaching out to help others in, in, in an area in a time of need and mm-hmm. hit, hit up with that meal train. But uh, that it's possible if we put our mind to the very fact that if we understand unity is the most important thing within the body of Christ, mm-hmm. then we, we're going to look past everything else yeah. and let God do the work outside of not yeah. us to be judged let god do the work that needs to be done we've got two more 
things that we want to look at quickly is one, this idea of sharing in friendship. And uh, we know that uh, in the Old Testament, God uh, referred to Abraham as a friend. Mm -hmm. And then I want to look in the New Testament as uh, Christ and believers as a friend. And we have this example in um, John chapter 15. And we'll look at John chapter 15, verses 13 to 15, and, and what he discusses about uh, friendship. And so John 15, 13 to 15, says, Greater love ha has no one other than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. Right there in that text, he refers to believers who obey and keep his commands mm -hmm. as friends. Yeah, it's, it really is a, a beautiful verse. And, and I think sometimes people have a hard time with it when it, when it says, you're my friend if, if you do as I command you to do. Um, if my, my daughter will come home sometimes and say, so-and-so said that I could be their friend as long as I did everything that they told me to, and I tell her, <laughs> that's not a friend. <laughs> that's not what a friend really is. And that's not what Jesus is saying. Uh, Jesus is saying that the reason that you're going to do what I command you to do is because uh, you're no longer slaves who just do as you're told, but you are now friends who understand why it is so important that you do what it is that I have commanded you to do. And Jesus, it, he sets himself up as the, the perfect example. He goes, I give my life for you. That is the true mark of friendship. Um, and as a friend, uh, I am asking you now to, to fulfill uh, the duty that you have as a friend of Jesus Christ. In order to be a friend of Christ, uh, there are some things that you do have to do, but Jesus doesn't say, just do it or we're not friends anymore. He says, you understand why you need to do those things in order to be my friend. You know, there's a great contrast here because it is an absolute privilege to be called a friend mm -hmm. because if you're not a friend you're an enemy yeah and to be called a friend means that one you obey the commands mm -hmm. two you know what the father has told jesus yeah. and jesus has told you you know the word of mm -hmm. god and so the very fact that you have the privilege of being called a friend is something that is really great here's the problem is in the world that we live in today, there are a ton of people who say they mm -hmm. are friends with Jesus, yeah. but their actions do not reflect that they are in friendship. Mm -hmm. Their words do, yeah. but their actions don't. And so it's really important that we have those connectors there of obedience yeah. and knowledge of the Word of God, which brings about true friendship. Listen, you got to get to know your friend. Absolutely. The only way you get to know your friend is being the word of God. Yeah, it's it's a good reminder for us as well who claim to be friends of God to remember that um that our, we can't just be acquaintances with Jesus, um, that we need to be his friend. We can't just be people that 
uh, that know who he is. We have to know him intimately, and that's the true mark of friendship, even between us as, as people. Um, we can know who someone is and not be their friend, but there is a, a different level of, of knowledge of a person or an understanding of what makes that person tick. What are their passions? What do they love um, that makes us their friend? And, and ultimately, that's... Um, that's how we show friendship with one another is understanding who the other person is, knowing the things that are important to them, um, and then not going out and, and, and saying, yo, I'm friends with so-and-so, but here's some things about him I don't like. Um, but it, it's imperative that when we understand who Jesus is and what, um, what he accomplished and what the Father has accomplished through him, that we're his friends when we do those things that he's commanded us to do. It's very interesting that, um, you know, I've had the great opportunity of traveling across the country and, and running into a lot of my buddies from Bible college who are serving in past, as pastors throughout yeah. the country. And we get together and we reminisce and we remember the good old days mm-hmm. of being in Bible college. And, and uh, you know, we don't set that standard of having kind of that every time we're going to meet and we're going to reflect back and yeah. remember what we had. But, you know, in that friendship that Jesus has with us, we, we're constantly, as Christians, we're called to uh, be reminded or mm-hmm. put a memorial in place to help us remember the new covenant that we've been put in through the shed blood of Christ, yeah. the sharing of the possessions, the sharing of the name, and, and this whole friendship and what Jesus uh, called us to was to reflect uh, regularly mm-hmm. on that sacrifice. And, and we in the church today, we call that the Lord's Supper. And I want to look at uh, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three to 26. That's the final point is that we share in a memorial. This is an Old Testament passage. If you're doing the study with us, you can go back and look through uh, the passages in Deuteronomy that talk about the memorial. But we want to look at uh, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three to 26, and he says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night he was betrayed, took bread. When he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you drink... Uh, eat of this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You know, you think about this within the church. And working through this covenant study really brought to attention the to pay attention to the Lord's Supper and what it's all about. It's not about eating a cracker or a piece of bread and, and drinking some Welch's grape, shoe, grape juice. It's yeah. literally pausing, reflecting on the moment that that covenant was put in place Mm -hmm. when Jesus' blood was shed and his body was broken. And then he calls us to remember that. Keep going back to that. Remember, Mm -hmm. don't forget, you know, that this was done for you and this is the way that uh, we're in covenant. And one thing that I want to point out and we could discuss before we wrap up is how often the memorial that's put in place becomes a ritual Mm -hmm. that it's just something that we do whatever whatever your church is maybe you do it every week uh every week you know i know the anglican church and the catholic church they they do communion every single week and 
comparable to say the Baptist church that does it on the second or yeah. the first Sunday of every month. Yeah. But how often that becomes a ritual that we just move through that process mm -hmm. of, you know, the deacons or the leaders handing out the cup and the bread, and then you go through that process and then you sing a hymn and you're out. Right. You know, how often maybe you as your listener, you're looking at your watch on Sunday morning going, oh man, it's five to 12. Right. And like, we still got communion, which is going to get us out at 10 after. Yeah. And I might not get to the Swiss Chalet till 25, mm -hmm. you know, that kind of mentality where ritual overtakes remembrance. Yeah. And it, and it's a shame. And, and ultimately we're, we're a people of, of Memorial. We, we love to have those things, um, in, in order to, to remember. And when we share moments in history, that's what brings us together. Um, you know, something like, uh, like 9-11. You'd simply mention that and people remember. Um, you know, my wife and I went to New York and we, we went to the memorial that is set up there. And, and that's when you take time to remember what happened. Jesus tells us that he gives us a memorial, something to do on a regular basis so that we don't forget what he did for us because he doesn't forget. He can simply look at his hands and see the scars um, that he still has uh, that remind him of what, of what he did for us. And so uh, it's imperative that when we enter into this time of, of memorial, of remembering uh, what we did or what, what he did for us is we take the time uh, to, to quiet our, our hearts and quiet our minds and just give him that. Spend those 10 or 15 minutes once a month and, and focus on, um, on the sacrifice that was made. It's amazing that when we look at the oneness that comes in covenant, we get oneness through the sharing of the blood and the shed blood of Jesus Christ. We get it through sharing of possessions. We become fellow heirs with Christ. We get to share in the kingdom. We share in friendship or relationship together. We know that that comes through the, mm -hmm. through the Holy Spirit. And then we share in memorial, which is this Lord's Supper. So important for us as individuals to remember that the Lord's Supper is uh, a time for us to stop and reflect and not make it ritual. You know, you can go on and read and the passages following in Corinthians, what happens when you do not take of the Lord's Supper in a proper way. Mm -hmm. So I hope that as we continue to work through this uh, study on covenant, you'll understand the seriousness of covenant, how it all comes together. But it's been great to be with you this week, and we hope to uh, that you'll join us again on our next episode, which will be Lesson 7 of Covenant. And so looking forward to digging in again. What a blessing it's been to be with you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the time that you've given us in your word today. We thank you for covenant. We thank you for the promises that come through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. We thank you that uh, we can pause and reflect and remember the sacrifice that he made on the cross for us, that his blood was shed, his body was broken uh, so that we could live, that we could become fellow heirs with Christ, that we could share in the possession of eternal life and this wonderful kingdom that's been set up for us in heaven. Father, we're thankful for the privilege of being called a child of God, that we can be in friendship with you through your son, Jesus Christ. 
And Father, help us to remember and never forget what you did for us that day when you yielded up your spirit and you said, it is finished. In your name we pray, amen. For more information on Precept Ministries Canada, visit us online at www.preceptministries.ca or call us at 877-234-2030.